the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Job never turned away from God, even in light of such horrors as the death of all of his children, the loss of his wealth, the loss of his reputation, the loss of his health. But I want you to look closely at this statement by James concerning Job. Notice what he says about how things ended up for Job. He says, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and he's merciful. I recently saw some entries from the diary of John Wesley. They went something like this. Sunday morning, May 5th. Preached in St. Anne's. Was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday p.m., May 5th. Preached in St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday a.m., May 12th. Preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday a.m., May 19th. Preached in St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May 19th. Preached on the street. Kicked off the street. Sunday a.m., May 26th. Preached in a meadow. Chased out of the meadow as bull was turned loose during the service. Sunday a.m., June 2nd. Preached at the edge of town. Kicked off the highway. And then Sunday p.m., June 2nd. Afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me. Well, that sounds like hard work, but Noah preached for 120 years without a single convert. It's hard to be patient when evil people are enjoying one success after another, often at our personal expense, when we experience continual disappointment and failure. But today on Verse by Verse, we'll consider the inevitable rewards of patience as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues our series from Psalm 37, Fret Not Because of Evildoers. Welcome. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by verse sprang out of his expository Bible teaching at Lakeside. Leonardo da Vinci said, Patience serves as a protection against wrongs as clothes do against cold. For if you put on more clothes as the cold increases, it will have no power to hurt you. So in like manner, you must grow in patience when you meet with great wrongs, and they will then be powerless to vex your mind. The Apostle James had some good advice about patience, too. In fact, it's inspired advice. Listen now as Pastor Steve explains. This morning, as we conclude our study of Psalm 37, I want to call your attention to a small phrase found in the Bible that at first, I think it sounds very odd, very different, very unique, but looking at it further, it makes a great deal of sense, and it is quite significant. It's in James chapter 5, verse 11. We find this expression, the outcome of the Lord's dealings. Now, that doesn't sound very odd. However, the way this literally reads in the original Greek text, and it's actually translated this way in the King James Version, is the end of the Lord. The end of the Lord. Now, that's what sounds odd. We're not used to hearing anything like that in the Bible because the Lord has no end. 
He is eternal. He is everlasting. But James isn't talking about anything concerning the finality of the Lord as if there could be a time when God would cease to exist. No, you see, in using these words, the end of the Lord, James is referring to the end of the Lord's dealings with individuals. In other words, he's speaking about God's dealings with men in the future, in the sense of the end result of his dealings with them, what we would call the conclusion, the finality of God's purposes in an individual's life. Now, notice that in the verses, if you've turned there, or if they put it on the screen, in the verses leading up to this statement, how James exhorts his readers specifically to be patient, to endure. He says in verses 7 through 8, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, James tells them to be patient. The Lord is coming. But what were they to be patient about? Well, in the verses before this, starting at the beginning of the chapter, we learn that these people were suffering terribly. They were oppressed, mistreated by those in society who were wealthy and who had the upper hand because many of them were their own employers. We read, starting at verse 1, Come now, you rich Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It's in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, it means the Lord of hosts. You've lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Now, that's what was going on. What we are reading here is that these wealthy people purposely did not pay those who worked for them. They had plenty of money to do that. They were rich, but they didn't pay them. And some of them somehow were involved in even putting these people to death, probably through the court system. And so James urges these believers to be patient, to hang in there, to wait for the Lord's return. And to help them learn to be patient, notice what he does. James goes on to tell them that they have to think not about how things are currently, presently, because today... They're involved in troubles and difficulties, but he tells them to think of the end. Think how things will end up when the Lord Jesus returns, how they will conclude their finish, their culmination. And to give weight to his exhortation for them to be patient, James presents a Bible character as an example. He presents the Old Testament man, Job, as an example of such a man who was patient while he suffered. Look at verse 11. He says, we count those blessed who endure. You've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Now, most of us, most of us are familiar with Job. 
the story of Job in the Old Testament book that's named after him. Job was a godly man. In fact, the Bible says he was a blameless man. He was the, he was the most godly man of his day. The Lord said that there was no one like Job on the earth, someone who feared God and turned away from evil. And God had blessed Job. He had blessed him with great wealth, possessions, a large family. But one day we read that Satan requested of the Lord that he be allowed to strike Job. Why? In order to prove, this was Satan's theory, in order to prove that that Job only worshipped God when everything was going well for him, when things were good. Satan said that once Job's possessions would be taken from him, and then he added his own health, he wouldn't worship God at all, but he would end up cursing God to his very face. Now, the point of the story of Job is to demonstrate that true faith endures. It doesn't curse the Lord, no matter how rough it gets, because in the end, Job did not curse God. He continued to worship the Lord. He trusted the Lord, even though he didn't understand what God was doing in his life, why he was suffering. But although Job suffered like no one else ever suffered except the Lord Jesus while on the cross, Job never turned away from God, even in light of such horrors as the death of all of his children, the loss of his wealth, the loss of his reputation, the loss of his health. But I want you to look closely at this statement by James concerning Job. Notice what he says about how things ended up for Job. He says, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and he's merciful. Now, this expression, the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that's what we've already noted. Literally, it reads, the end of the Lord. And it means the end of God's dealings with Job, God who is merciful and compassionate, in the end, was very, very merciful to Job. We read at the end of Job, chapter 42, verse 10, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, and he increased all that Job had twofold. Now, the reason that James brings this up in connection with the trials that his readers were going through is because James wants them to consider not only the endurance of Job, not only the patience of this man, but he wants them to think about how things ended up for Job, how it ended up for him, so that they would realize that the terrible times that they were going through right now, being oppressed by the wealthy people, in the end, they would have a similar good ending like Job had a good ending. You see, when we are going through hard times, it's important to think of what lies ahead and not get stuck looking at our circumstances, how things are going to end up concerning the importance of thinking about how things are going to end in one's life, one Bible teacher put it this way. He said, many of the troubles in life today are due to the fact that people still fail to think things right through. It's a great theme in the Bible. Go to the end. Don't stop short. The importance of the end is something which is constantly emphasized in the Bible, and it is. As we continue our study of Psalm 37, that's what's emphasized in this last section of the psalm. What David's going to tell us is think about how things end up, about the end, concerning those who are believers as well as those who are unbelievers. See, David 
as he concludes this psalm, it's important to keep in mind that he's still trying to deal with the very same thing that he started out with. In verse 1, do not fret about evildoers. Don't be envious of them. He's still doing that. He's still teaching his people how to keep from fretting. And to accomplish his objective of helping them not to fret, David has taught them a number of truths. One of these truths is to take a long look into the future. That was one of the things he emphasized. See how these people who they were fretting over now, how they end up down the road. Two times earlier in the psalm, David mentions what will happen to those evildoers in the end. Notice what he said in verse 2, right at the beginning. He said, for they will wither quickly like the grass, fade like the green herb. He said again in verse 20, but the wicked will perish and the enemies of the Lord will be gone or will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. Now, he comes to his final section, and what is he doing? David returns to this very truth, the truth about the final outcome, the end of these evildoers, as he urges his readers once again to look into the future and see the end of these people, these people who are so troubling to them now, how it will end up for them. And, and so this thought concerning the end then becomes the dominant message, the dominant theme of these closing verses, as David expands on what he had said earlier and clarifies all this so that we have a fuller understanding of what lies ahead for those evildoers that we tend to spend so much time fretting over now. These people who are so successful and yet so godless, those who seem to be able to do whatever they want to do and get away with it, they appear at least to get away with it. Well, in this section, David is going to help us to see what's in store for those who are so prosperous. Now, it's a very sobering passage, and it's vitally important that we all understand this, that we, that we understand what happens to people in the end, especially those people who are the cause of our current trials and difficulties, because this is God's way of telling us how to stop fretting about them. This is his grace to us as he instructs us about these in the end. And so that's why David in this last final section of Psalm 37 tells us how things will be in the end, but not only for the wicked. He also tells us how things will be in the end for those of us who are believers. The way David does this is he gives us three truths about what will happen to believers and unbelievers in the end. So let's begin. First, he tells us that in the end, believers will be exalted. In the end, believers will be exalted. He says in verse 32, the wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. Now, David tells us that there are some unbelievers whom he refers to as the wicked who spy upon the righteous. That is to say that they watch believers and they do this for a specific reason. What is that reason? What is that purpose? And we understand that there are some unbelievers who keep their eyes on Christians. Why? Because they're looking for us to slip. You may work with people like this. You may have relatives like this. They're looking for us to, to slip up and sin so that they can accuse us of hypocrisy in order to justify their unbelief. We understand that. But that's not what David is talking about. This isn't the kind of watching that David is referring to. Now, David says that these people spy upon the righteous, note this, for the purpose of seeking to kill them. 
In other words, their hatred of God's truth and therefore God's people who speak God's truth and stand for God's truth is so intense that they actually are looking for ways to bring about the death of those who who represent the Lord. Now, it, it doesn't appear that David is referring to an unbeliever out to murder a believer in cold blood, but rather that this wicked person is interested in using the legal system, the legal court system, in order to put the righteous on trial and then have them condemned to death. And I say that because of what David says next in verse 33. He says, the Lord will not leave him in his hand or let him, note this, be condemned when he is judged. Now, the fact that David speaks of a believer being condemned when he is judged leads us to believe that David is talking about a situation where a believer is put in a position of being judged in a court of law in order to get a guilty verdict that condemns him to death. We certainly see this illustrated. It's not hard to understand the situation like this. You see it illustrated in the life of our Lord. There are a number of places in the New Testament where we read that the Jewish religious leaders were deliberately watching Jesus, listening to his teaching, giving him tough questions, why they were trying to trap him into saying something that would incriminate him and legally get him in trouble with either the Romans and their laws or else with the Jewish people over a violation of the law of Moses. For example, Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 9, we read, departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then we read, so that they might accuse him. This was not an honest question. They deliberately were asking this, spying him out, watching him, So they might accuse him. Accuse him of what? Accuse him of breaking the law of Moses and being worthy of death. And he said to them, what man is there among you as a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and was restored to normal like the other. But it says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. They considered him a a lawbreaker, but it was never breaking the law to be compassionate to somebody on the Sabbath. See, their goal was to have him put to death. So they were watching him in the synagogue, hoping to come up with some action of his that would make him guilty, thus worthy of death. We read the same thing but even more pronounced in Matthew 26, verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Now, it's very interesting. Matthew tells us what Jesus said to his disciples. Then the scene shifts to the Jewish leaders plotting the Lord's death. We read, then the chief priests, And the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying not during the festival, means not during Passover. Otherwise, a riot might occur amongst the people. Now, Jesus told his disciples, he predicted that his death would go through Rome's legal system. We know that because 
he spoke about death by crucifixion because that's the only way that crucifixion could be legally carried out. It had to go through Rome. The Jewish people did not have the power to put anyone to death, let alone crucifixion. So the Jewish religious leaders were spying on him, looking for a way to seize him in private, away from the general population. They would try him, they would bring him to the Roman authorities, and then make sure he was executed. In fact, this attempt to condemn Jesus was behind their now famous theological question about, was it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? See, if Jesus says, don't pay any taxes to Rome, then he's in trouble with Rome. Then he's branded as an insurrectionist, a a man guilty of treason, and then worthy of death by the Romans. That's what's behind their question. And if he does say to pay taxes to Rome, then he could be accused of being disloyal to the, the Jewish nation, and he would lose his following. You see, it was just a wicked attempt by wicked people to entrap the Lord so that he would be put on trial by Rome and then be condemned to die. Now, David, in Psalm 37, says that this is what was happening because some unbelievers, those who would have to be considered the worst of the worst, what they were doing, they were spying on believers, watching them for the purpose of catching them in what they would consider to be a crime so that they might be arrested, tried, and condemned for breaking the law and then executed for their so-called crime against the state. That's what David is explaining. Now, you may think that this is so far removed from us as American Christians that it just has no relevancy, no application for us. However, never underestimate the wickedness of the human heart, of human nature. And don't be naive as to where our culture, our society is headed in terms of the persecution of Christians. It was Charles Spurgeon who said over a hundred years ago that, and I quote, if it were not for the laws of the land, we should soon see a massacre of the righteous. Now folks, that was said over a hundred years ago. Some of the laws of our land may soon be changing, so that to be a believer in Christ who speaks the truth of God in our society may very well be considered a hate crime punishable by death. But notice what David says will happen when the wicked do try to legally condemn believers to death. Surprisingly, he says this, the Lord will not leave him in their hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Now, why do I say surprisingly David said this? I say surprisingly because history is filled with incidents that are completely contrary to what David says here. There have been many Christians who have been judged and condemned to death and then put to death. This was certainly true during the Reformation when the Roman Catholic Church burned at the stake Many godly Christians for their faith in Christ and nothing else, their faith in Christ. This is interesting. David said in verses 33 and 34, The Lord will not leave him in his hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Yet millions of Christians have died at the hands of the ungodly. How should we understand David's statement that the Lord will not leave believers in the hands of the wicked people to be judged and condemned? 
I hope you can be here on the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff answers this challenging question. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop in if you're in the area on a Sunday morning. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. For service times or if you have questions about your faith, call 727-441-1714. There's more information about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. The phone number again is 727-441-1714 or go to lakesidechapel.com. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind, we have a special offer for you. You can receive a free audio Bible for your player by visiting www.blindbibles.com or call 800-838-5924. That's 800-838-5924. Verse by Verse remains on the air thanks to the generous listeners whose gifts help to pay for our airtime and production costs. Visit versebyverseradio.org and click the giving link to find out how you can give securely and easily online. Or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. I'm Jerry Peterson. On the next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will help us answer the difficult question of how God can promise things will work out well for the godly when our eyes seem to lead us to the opposite conclusion. In the meantime, here's a hint. We need to look farther ahead. As the old gospel song says, I read the back of the book and we win. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.